book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 22. We'll read from verses 1 to 38. First Kings 22, verses 1 to 38. And they continued three years without war between Syria and Israel. And it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel say unto his servants, Know ye that Ramoth and Gilead is ours, and we be still, and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria? And he say unto Jehoshaphat, Will thou go with me to battle to Ramoth-Gilead? And Jehoshaphat say to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, my horses as thy horses. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about four hundred men, and say unto them, Shall I go against Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they say, Go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides? that we might inquire of him. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man, Micaiah, the son of Imla, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him, for he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Hasten hither, Micaiah, the son of Imla, and the king of Israel, and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, sat each on his throne, having put on their robes in a void place in the, in the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Kinaanah, made him horns of iron, and he said, Thus saith the Lord, with these shalt thou push the Syrians un until thou have consumed them. And all the prophets prophesy so, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the king's hand. And the messenger that was gone to call Micaiah is spake unto him, saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets declare good unto the king with one mouth. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them, and speak that which is good. And Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. So he came to the king, and the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go against Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? And he answered him, Go and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And the king said unto him, How many times shall I adjure thee, that thou tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills, as sheep that have no shepherd. 
And the Lord said, These have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell thee that he would prophesy no good concerning me, but evil? And he said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the hosts of heaven is standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said on this manner, and another said on that manner. And there came forth a spirit, and he stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go forth, and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, Thou shalt persuade him, and prevail also. Go forth, and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil concerning thee. But Zedekiah, the son of Kinaana, went near and smote Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way went the Spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto thee? And Micaiah said, Behold, thou shalt see in that day when thou shalt go into an inner chamber to hide thyself. And the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and carry him back unto Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son. And say, Thus saith the king, Put this fellow in the prison, and feed him with bread of affliction, and with water of affliction, until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, If thou return at all in peace, the Lord hath not spoken by me. And he said, Hearken, O people, every one of you. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and enter into the battle. But put thou on thy robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into the battle. But the king of Syria commanded his thirty and two captains that had rule over his chariots, saying, Fight neither with small nor great, save only with the king of Israel. And it came to pass when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, that they said, Surely it is the king of Israel. And they turned aside to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out, and it came to pass when the captains of the chariots perceived that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. And a certain man drew a bow at venture, and he smoked the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Wherefore he said unto the driver of his chariot, Turn thine hand and carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. And the battle increased that day. And the king was stayed up in his chariot against the Syrians, and died at even. And the blood ran out of the wound into the midst of the chariot. 
And there went a proclamation throughout the host about the going down of their son, saying, Every man to his city, and every man to his own country. So the king died, and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. And one washed the chariot in the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood, and they washed his armor, according unto the word of the Lord, which he spake. This far the reading of God's most infallible word. So this evening, we'll continue our exposition through the book of Kings, this time from chapter 22, verses 1 to 38. But before we begin, let's come before the Lord once again and ask for His blessing. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, King of Kings, come to Thy presence now to hear from Thy Word. Lord, we know that thy word is true, infallible, perfect, foreverlasting. We want to hear thy perfect and most holy word. Lord, we want to be like the godly man of Psalm 1 that we just sang, that meditates on thy law day and night, that brings forth fruits, walks in thy law, and has delight in thy word. So teach us, Lord, from thy very word, how to be and to live in thy word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you know what is true nowadays? Watch the news, digital influencers, chat GPT. Should we be worried? Should we be at peace? How should a Christian make decisions in his life? There's so much information going on that it's hard to know what you believe and what you to, to follow. How should we hear and obey the Word of God in the midst of an unbelieving society such as the one that we live in? There is a competition in the world for who will get your attention and who will get your trust. But this chapter shows us that there are many dangers that the world doesn't tell us. This chapter shows us how the Word of God is sovereign over all things. In the midst of so many lies and tricks around us, how do you know what the truth is? This is the challenge of God's people today. So our call today is to recognize and obey the Word of God. To recognize and obey the Word of God. And to meditate on that, we'll divide our text into four points. First, verses 1 to 5, the priority of God's Word. Second, verses 6 to 14, the superiority of God's Word. Third, 15 to 28, the finality of God's Word. And fourth, verses 29 to 38, the fulfillment of God's Word. In chapter 21, we saw how Ahab took Naboth's vineyard. And because of that, he killed Naboth and took his vineyard. And because of that, we heard the sentence upon Ahab in chapter 21, verse 19. 
Well, in this chapter, we have the fulfillment of that sentence. So first, let's consider the priority of God's word. After focusing on the northern kingdom for so long, we have been seeing about the king Ahab and the northern kingdom. Finally, the king of Judah appears. The kingdom from David's lineage finally comes to place. But sadly, we will see that the king of Judah also compromised some of his principles. The first thing that we learn is the danger of trusting alliances. The danger of trusting alliances. We read in verse 2, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. At this point, we don't know exactly when, but Jehoshaphat had already made an alliance with Ahab. We don't know when, but there was a marriage that took place between Ahab's daughter and Jehoshaphat's son. We read about that in 2 Kings 8, 18, and 2 Chronicles 18, verse 1. So there was already a family connection between these two kings. But they make now even a new covenant, a new alliance, to make war against the king of Syria. But why would they want to go to war against the king of Syria? Well, do you remember the land that Ben-Hadad the king of Syria promised to give back to Israel back in chapter 20, verse 34. Well, surprise, surprise, he never fulfilled his promise. He never lived up to his promise, and he never gave back that land. So now, Ahab is filled with anger and wants to go to battle against the king of Syria to take back the land that he has promised to give him, to go to war. And now he's seeking alliance to go to war, a new ally. And to each request we read, verse 4, And Jehoshaphat say to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, my horses as thy horses. See, Jehoshaphat was trapped. He had a, a twofold alliance with Ahab. First through marriage, and now he gave his word. He made an alliance with Ahab that he was willing to be as his people. And to go to war with him. Well, this alliance would almost cost his life and would displease the Lord greatly. Do not misunderstand this. Jehoshaphat was a servant of the Lord. He was a Christian, we could say. But he fell into the trap of trusting alliances with the world. Much like what we do today. When we align ourselves with ungodly people, to enter an alliance with an ungodly is a full thing. To enter with a, in, into a covenant with a wicked person can lead to nothing but destruction. The promise, the promise of profit can mislead us and lead us into terrible decisions that will later on produce terrible results. Especially now for young people. Marriage is one of the most serious alliances, covenants that you will make in your life. Be watchful with whom you enter into a covenant. You will either reap the fruits of that marriage or the consequences of it in the future. Do not trust in someone who doesn't care about God's word. 
But Jehoshaphat was already entangled with that alliance, with the king of Israel. But better late than never, he decides to seek the word of God. Verse 5. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Or consult the word of the Lord. It's true, he already compromised, but at least he asked, consult the word of the Lord. That's the second thing that we learn here. The importance of consulting the word of God. He remembered something that he should never have forgotten in the first place. First, consult the word of the Lord. Indeed, a remarkable request. Jehoshaphat proved to be a godly king, as we've seen in verse 43, because he, he sought God's counsel. He sought the counsel of the Lord. It was an imperative request. Inquire, inquire, please, the word of the Lord. And likewise, it's a command for us. Seek his word. Inquire his word. Search for and in his word. Before you make any hasty decision in your life, remember the words of the psalmist. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Search his word. Be in his word. Know his word. Before you make decisions, before you make an alliance, seek the word. Children, this is what our parents teach us, right? Before eating something that you don't know, or before touching something that you don't know what it is, or before going somewhere, somewhere, ask first. Ask before you do something. Well, but somehow, we forget this when we grow up. We think that we know everything. So we decide to do first and ask later. We decide to do first and then seek the counsel of the Lord. And that's when terrible results happen. The priority of God's word means that we are supposed to seek God's word first. Not after we have already made dumb decisions. Spurgeon said, There is dust enough on some of your Bibles to write damnation with your fingers. Wow. Don't let, this, don't let this be a reality in your life. Don't let things get to this point in your life. Seek the word of God before you act. And not just read the Bible, but seek godly counsel. Seek those who will counsel you in the Bible as well. Who will counsel you from the Bible. Who will help you to walk in the Bible. Who will keep you in check, accountable? Inquire, I pray thee, the word of the Lord. Seek first his word. Don't seek any counsel. Make sure that his counsel comes from his word, from the word of God. Because the word of God is incomparable and superior to everything else. And that's exactly our second point, the superiority of God's word. After Jehoshaphat's request, the text say in verse 6, Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together 
about four hundred men, and say unto them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they say, Go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. The first thing that we see here is the danger of trusting earthly messengers. The danger of trusting earthly messengers. Once again, Ahab is surrounded by 400 prophets. That already should be an alert in our minds, right? The last 400 prophets were not really good. Remember 1 Kings chapter 18? But this time, they are prophets of the Lord. Or at least so they are called. They were unanimous in affirming victory. Yes, go ahead. Go to battle. Things will work out in the end. Notice the claims that these prophets were making. First claim. They claim to have the word of God. Verse 5 and 6. Jehoshaphat asked, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord. And they answered, assuming that they were the ones who had the word of the Lord. So the first, they were claiming to have this word. Second, they claimed to speak in the name of the Lord. Verse 11, one of, of these prophets called Zedekiah says, Thus saith the Lord. They were claiming to be speaking as mouthpieces of God. Third, they claimed to have the promise of the Lord. Verse 12, For the Lord shall deliver into the, hand, into the king's hand. Yes, it's sure. Go ahead. We have the promises of God in our side. And fourthly, they claim to have the spirit of the Lord. In verse 24, when Zedekiah is speaking to Micaiah, he says, When the spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto thee, trying to imply that at some point he actually had the spirit of the Lord in him. What one claims to be doesn't necessarily match what he really is. And we need need to be watchful for this reality. That not always what one claims to be is what someone actually is. When Jehoshaphat heard the unanimous verdict of the prophets, he knew something was wrong. See, we don't know for sure what he saw that convinced him that these were not Yahweh's word. But the truth is that when you walk with God, when you walk in His word, when you know His word, when you are acquainted with His word, you can tell when something is off. So he said in verse 7, And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? In other words, Ahab is not here a real prophet of the Lord. Because this isn't it. I know something is off here, Ahab. This is not the word of God. Jehoshaphat knew something was wrong. Perhaps in his heart, he knew it was wrong to get into an alliance with Ahab. With the wicked Ahab. But the fact is, he wants to hear the word of God. And he knows when he hears it. He knows how to recognize the word of God. And he knows that's not it. You will not be able to discern the word if you don't know the word. 
See, dear Christian, you will not be able to discern if a word is really from the Lord if you don't know His word. If you, you will not be able to discern how to, to follow, to obey, or who to follow if you don't actually know the word. If you are not living in the word, meditating in His word, acquainted with His word. So after being pressed by Jehoshaphat, Ahab suggests the prophet Micaiah, whom he disliked. In fact, Ahab hated Micaiah. Not because he was, because it was untruth what Micaiah says, but he hated him because what Micaiah said was evil concerning himself. Verse 8, I hate him, for he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. You see, the basis for judging a prophecy for Ahab was very simple. Well, if he prophesies something that is good to me, then he's a good prophet. But if he prophesies something that is evil concerning me, then he's a bad prophet. That's not God's standard for judging. But many times, however, this is our standard for judging God's word. See, we, we discreetly adopt Ahab's mindset, Ahab's way of thinking. If the minister or if an elder or if someone advises us in our favor, then it is a good advice and it is a good counsel. But if he is advising something that goes against our will, it's a bad counselor, it's a bad preacher. But that's not God's standards. And we might even go as far as Ahab to say, I hate him. This fits many churches nowadays, sadly, which appropriate the world's culture of non-judgmental environment or judgment-free churches, which means that the word of God is long gone from these places. No such a thing as judgment-free word of God. The word of God is very much about judging and discerning us, examining us. Any place that they hold these claims is nothing but itching ears to those who are there. But if there is yet one man there is that one man, then there is still hope. Then in our text, we see the danger of relying on offices. While they went to bring Micaiah, there was a theatrical performance going on. On the one side, there are the, the two kings sitting on their thrones at the gates of the city with their royal, royal robes on them. And before them, on the other side, all those prophets performing, flattering the kings, saying what they wanted to hear. It was almost as if a, a theoretical performance was going on on that place. A stage with the king sitting there and then the prophets presenting to them. And Zedekiah was acting a little odd in verse 11, but he was most likely using here a biblical illustration, the language from Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 17. 
is speaking of Joseph goring his enemies. Just say that the victory was sure. So you see, Zedekiah was boring the biblical lingo to pretend that what he was saying was actually biblical. But to use biblical language cannot be mistaken with the actual word of God. It's easy to use the biblical language just to pretend that you are saying something that is right when you are actually just disguising it, giving the form, the package of something godly. We need to be in the word to be able to discern the word. Just the biblical lingo doesn't mean something is actually from the Lord. And what is Micaiah's response to all this? By the way, the fact that Micaiah was not among those 400 prophets of Yahweh highlights that he was not one of the king's pet prophets, as a commentator called them. He was not among those who were there just to please the king. Micaiah would show that the superior word of God cannot be contained. Like a lion that can't be restrained, the word of God cannot be contained. The messengers advised Micaiah in verse 13. And Ahab's presupposition in verse 8 assumes that the prophet can control the word. You see, they, they say to Micaiah, you see, all the prophets already say this. So just go along. Follow along. Say what the, all, everybody else is saying. Come along. Or as Ahab was assuming, well, it's, he's saying a, an evil thing concerning myself because he wants. See, the presupposition in their minds is that the prophet, if he wishes, he could say something nice. A gentle word just to please them. The commentator Dale Davis say this. The true prophet of God is in bondage to the incoercible word of God. The word of Yahweh is free. The servant of Yahweh is in bondage to it. Ahab cannot comprehend the sovereign freedom of Yahweh's word. You see, Ahab thought that the prophet was free and that the word was bound to the prophet. But in fact, it is the prophet who is bound to the word. This is exactly Micaiah's bold response in verse 14. As the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. What a profession of faith. What a bold claim. That will I speak. Just as Job made a covenant with his eyes, so Micaiah made a covenant with his lips, with his mouth, to speak only the Lord's words. That is a call of a minister. Not to speak his words, but a far superior word, God's words. Gratian Machen say this, if you accept the Bible as the word of God, you will have one qualification of a preacher. Whatever be the limitations of your gifts, you will at least have a message. So as long as God's minister is faithful to the word, it's not his word, it's God's word. 
We have no right to hate it, to suppress it, to suppress it, or to choose something else to try to hide from the word, because it's the word of the Lord. And the word of God is not only superior, but it's also final, the finality of God's word. And so they bring the prophet Micaiah. But his first response seems to contradict what he said. He gives an answer that appears to agree with what all the prophets were saying. In verse 15. Go and prosper. For the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. The king quickly understood that that was ironic. Verse 16. What made the king notice that that was ironic in the parts of Micaiah, we, we don't know for sure. It's unclear. But there is something in the way that he said that that made the king know for sure that Micaiah was not giving the whole truth. And that was not the first time that it happened as well. So as he requested then, Micaiah describes the whole truth in verse 17. O king, it will be a complete defeat. If you go to war, you are doing so against the word of God, and it will be a complete defeat. So will they believe it? Will they trust the word of God? Now in these verses, we see the danger of trusting evil words. Verse 18, And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell thee that he would prophesy no good concerning me? But evil, I told you, Jehoshaphat, this guy is nothing but trouble. See, he is once again prophesying evil concerning me. See, in verse 18, we have this picture of this selfish king who is only concerned about himself. The only thing that he cares about is himself. And then in verse 19, we have the picture of the true king. We sit it upon the throne. So there is a clear contrast between the scenes here. Between the two kings who are sitting at that earthly theatrical event with their robes before the people, the selfish king Ahab, and the one who is seated upon the throne in the heavens. A clear contrast between verses 10 and 12. 10 to 12 and verse 19. Makes clear that it is the Lord who writes the script. And the earthly kings and their prize are nothing but characters in the Lord's sovereign decrees. That's exactly the point of this passage. Ahab is beyond the point of regarding the word of God. To hear the word of God is a mere formality to him. He has heard the word of God so many times, over and over again, but for him that's just a formality. It's just something that he has to do, but it means nothing to him. He's not willing to hearken to the word and to be changed by the word. And now the sentence from Micaiah, verse 19. And he said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the hosts of heaven is standing by him on his right hand and on his left. What's 
quite a contrast with the selfish king Ahab. Quite a contrast with the small king sitting on earth and with the heavenly king sitting upon the throne in heaven. Micaiah then proceeds to unveil how Ahab was actually deceived. The Lord asked, who shall persuade Ahab? Who shall persuade Ahab? This word repeated, is repeated three times. Verse 20, 21, and 22. It means to, to attract or even to seduce someone. And the, the, the origin behind is for someone who is simple. Someone who is inexpert or someone who is naive. Who can be easily deceived. That's the idea of the verb being used here. That Ahab is being a naive person. Certainly is spiritually naive. And he can be easily allured. Easily seduced, attracted by pleasing words. Which brings the question of what was the nature of this deceitfulness? Or who was the lying spirit of verse 22? Well, the truth is that the text doesn't answered us that question the point that the text is making is that God is sovereign both over false prophets and the true prophets is not only is sovereign over the true prophets but even over the false prophets furthermore if we if we look closely we notice that there is no deception going on here the Lord is actually revealing to Ahab what he was deceived by the false prophets. So although the lying spirit went there to deceive Ahab, now the Lord is unveiling to Ahab the truth. What was veiled from Ahab is being revealed through Micaiah to him now. The Lord is telling Ahab exactly what is going on. It's just a matter of whether Ahab will believe it or not. There is... A clear and interesting parallel with the story here and what happened, happened with Job. The story with Job. You see, God did not reveal to Job the divine counsel. God never revealed to Job what happened at the divine counsel in which God gave the permission to go and tempt Job. But here, and another divine counsel took place. And it pleased the Lord to reveal to the wicked Ahab the divine counsel. It's quite interesting, the contrast between the two. Because for Job, not revealing what was happening was actually to mature him, to strengthen him. But for Ahab, revealing to him what was happening was actually to further compromise him to further make him guilty and to destroy him in the end. It's quite a contrast. These stories show us that God has his purposes both in what he reveals to us and what he does not reveal to us. We often want to know, right, what is happening. We want to know the whys and hows behind God's providence in our lives. We want to know what is happening in the divine council. Why is this happening in our society? Or why is this happening in our lives? 
Well, if we compare these two characters, we will see that not always knowing what is going on is a good sign. But should trust in God's word. To rely in his word, even when we don't know what is happening. Even when we cannot make sense of what is happening around us. Even when what is happening around us seems to contradict what we hear and what we know in his word. But you know that he is in control. That he holds our destinies in his hands. That he upholds the destiny of the world in his hands. God has his purpose, both in what he reveals and what he does not reveal to us. And now we see the danger of neglecting God's word. Crowning these moments comes Zedekiah, who humiliates and provokes Micaiah, smacking him in the face. How could Zedekiah be a prophet of the Lord? Well, supposedly he is not one of the Baal's prophets, right? But a prophet of Yahweh. Well, at that time, there were multiple temples in Samaria. Not only the temple of Yahweh, but multiple temples. And even within the temple of Yahweh, there were aspects of pagan, pagan cults, pagan worship in God's temple. So it was all mixed. Paganism had entered into God's house. So even these self-claimed prophets of the Lord had mixed God's worship with the worship of pagan idols. So it's not surprised that they cannot discern between a lying spirit and the Holy Spirit. And after seeing all this, what's Ahab's response? He chose not to listen. It's Mark's, as Philip Riken said. The arrow of divine judgment is not random. It's not adventure. But it was planned from the beginning. Neither of the kings accomplished 27. It sounds silly because we know the end of the story. We know that this is not going to work out well for Ahab. We know that he's not going to return in peace. But in practice, we also ignore that God's word is final. This is exactly what we do. When we come Sunday after Sunday to church again and again and refuse to hear His words. There's a great danger if we neglect God's word. And the punishment is described in His very word. If we mock Him, if we, choose to cho- if we decide to choose sin over His word, over obeying Him, You see, destruction was not more certain to to Ahab than it is for us today if we decide to neglect his word. We have the very word that is spoke through Micaiah speaking to us and calling us to hearken to his word. Micaiah's answer, on the other hand, is the same. A boldly call to believe God's word says, We will see what will happen. Verse 28. If you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken for me. If you return. There is an emphasis in the text here. If you come back at all. Meaning, 
Ahab, you are not going to return. In fact, you are not just going to be defeated. You will be utterly destroyed. You will die. This will be the end for Ahab. And finally, Micaiah cries out, verse 28, Hearken, O people, every one of you. Ahab will not hear this because he will be dead. But it's not too late for you, Israel. Hearken, O people. Micaiah is calling the people to hear the word, to see the result of the word, to judge and see that the word of God is true. It's too late for Ahab, but it was not too late for Israel. And then it came the day that it was too late for Israel, but it's not too late for us yet. Hearken to his word. Hear, O Israel, his word. Hearken to his word. Hearken, O people, every one of you. The Lord is calling you to believe his word today. To to behold his word. To be in his word and to obey his word. The word of God is final. His last is authoritative. There's no higher authority than God's word. Don't play games with his word. Hearken, O people, every one of you, while there is time. And how is the word fulfilled? The fulfillment of God's word, our last point. After all appeals and warnings, what did they do? They went to battle. They went to war. They decided to ignore the word of the Lord and they went to war. And the first thing that we notice in the last section is the danger of relying on strategies. Ahab had a plan, a deceptive plan. Verse 30. And the king of Israel, that is Ahab, say unto Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and enter into the battle. But put thou on thy robes. But you go as a king to the battle. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. It's quite interesting that Ahab did not believe the word. He disobeyed the word. He was displeased with the word. But at the same time, he feared the word. To the point that he wanted to disguise himself in order to go to battle. He had this nice scheme in place. I will go as a regular soldier to battle. No one will know that I am the king. And you, king of Judah, you go as the king. And maybe they will just kill one of us. That was his strategy. And on the other side of the field, the Syrian king also had a plan. Verse 31. But the king of Syria commanded his 32 captains that had rule over his chariots, saying, Fight neither with small nor great, save only with the king of Israel. See, the the king of Syria also had a plan. Don't waste time with the little guys. Go straight to the king of Israel. He's the one in charge. Go after him. And ironically, neither plan works out exactly as they planned. Both plans didn't quite work as they planned. In the meanwhile... Jehoshaphat was caught in these schemes and he was almost a victim of both kings' strategies. 
verse 32 tells us that Jehoshaphat was surrounded by the enemy army and he was about to be killed when he cries out. He was surrounded and then he finally cries out. The nature of Jehoshaphat's cry, cry here is unknown. He cried for help or if he most likely cried to the Lord. But the agent of his salvation is made clear. But a parallel passage in Second Chronicles chapter 18, verse 31. And the Lord helped him. And God moved them to depart from him. See, the Lord was in control of that battle. And as Jehoshaphat cries out, the Lord answers and he spares his life on the thick of the moment and saves him, spares him to die. He would still receive a severe reproof later on when he returns to Jerusalem. In 2 Chronicles 19, verse 2, he would still be reproved by the Lord, but at least his life was spared. Jehoshaphat was saved by divine intervention, just as Ahab was killed by divine action. So we have here uh, the double side of the providence taking place. Ahab may have had a chance to think that his plan was actually succeeding for a while. Maybe when he saw that the army was surrendering Jehoshaphat, he thought, hey, that's actually a good plan. This might actually work out well in the end. But that's when we read in verse 34 that unknown, an unknown archer adventure not having any idea of his target shoots an arrow and through a tight space between the armor that arrow finds its destination and that would be the little strike to kill Ahab. Adventure. When arrow is shot in the middle of the battlefield. And finds the tight space between the armor of Ahab. And kills him. Although it may seem random for us. The arrow of divine judgment. I'll always find its marks. As Philip Riken said. The arrow of divine judgment is not random. It's not adventure. But it was planned from the beginning. Neither of the kings accomplished their strategy. The plan of Ahab was to remain unknown, unseen in the battlefield. But he was very much seen by God. It's an irony of Ahab being anonymous in the text. For all the text, he's anonymous. He's hiding his disguise as being complete anonymity. And by the hand of an anonymous archer, he dies. This shows us that it is foolish to hide with earthly strategies. But above all, above all, it shows who is the true king who rules over all things. Even random arrows in the sky. How big is your God? who rules over everything in the entire universe. Even random arrows flying in the sky, nothing escapes His hand of providence guiding all things. That's exactly what the closing verses show us. 
that the word of God is always fulfilled. After the king is dead, the battle is over. And here they are scattered as sheep that have no shepherd, exactly as Micaiah predicted. Each one, each one running back to their home, emphasizing the prophecy of Micaiah. And verse 38, that everything happened according unto the word of the Lord which he spake. Everything happened precisely and exactly as the Lord said. These verses show the fulfillment of three distinct prophecies. At the same time, three prophecies are being fulfilled. First, from chapter 20, verse 42, the prophecy of Ahab's death by the anonymous prophet. Second, from chapter 21, verse 19, the prophecy about the humiliation, the humiliating nature of his death by Elijah. And then the third prophecy, chapter 22, as we read, verse 17 and 23, by Micaiah, the prophecy that all Israel would be dispersed. The sovereignty of God's word comes down to this point, showing that his word is always fulfilled. See, all these prophecies, little by little, unveiling until this climax moment, showing that His Word never fails and is always fulfilled. It's always, it's always fulfilled whether we like it or not, whether we accept it or not, whether it is in our favor or against us. Even if we fight against it, His Word is always fulfilled. Which side of God's sovereign word are you in? Are you allied with Micaiah boldly proclaiming the word of God, betting your own life to it? Or are you allied with Ahab, relying on alliances, believing earthly messengers, neglecting God's word, trusting your own strategies? What side of God's sovereign word are you in? Still doubting? Or are you willing to bet your life that His word will prevail? Sometimes God's word and His providence seems to be hard to swallow. Something hard for us to submit. But because His word is sovereign, we should never doubt it. It can be hard. No doubt. But it's always true. If you are a parent, you have been through this before. You try to give some medicine to your child. And it can be hard sometimes. They don't know what that medicine is. It might be a, a pill that they have to swallow or something that you have to spray in their nose or, or a, a syringe at the doctor's office. They don't know what that medicine is. They, they cannot comprehend what is going on. So they are left with only one choice. To trust you. To trust that what you are saying is for their good. That what you are doing there is for their good. So you hold them. You hold them in your arms and you tell that it's for their good. That even if they might not understand, it might be hard for a little while, it's for their good. And they trust you. They rely on you with their lives in your hands. They rely on you 
how much more should we rely on our Heavenly Father? Trusting that although it might be hard sometimes, tough to understand, He is in control of all things. As if we are in His arms, telling us to trust in Him. It's for your good. It's for the good of those who love Him. We can trust Him. We can trust His Word. Even when it's hard to swallow. You obey that which you trust. And what do you trust? That's the big question. You trust money, friends, family, work. Some of these things are actually good. But our ultimate trust must be the Word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God will stand forever. That's the only reliable thing that we can come to always and ever, and that will forever stand and never change. I want to conclude this sermon with four applications from four key verses of this passage. And I think are the key verses that will help us to memorize what this passage is all about. So first, verse 5, Inquire, I pray thee, the word of the Lord today. The priority and the primacy of the word of God. Console the word of God before, before the arrow of divine judgment finds you. I want you to take... Some of you might be thinking, well, I I want you to take this new job, or I want you to do this, I want you to do that. I'm going to move to that place, or I'm going to date that girl. What does the Word of God say about it? Inquire the Word of God first. Seek the Word of God. Seek godly counsel. Inquire, I pray thee, the Word of God. If you are not acquainted with the word, seek someone who can guide you and help you to be in the word, to know what the word has to tell you on the circumstance that you are. Second, verse 14. What the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. Young people, remember that you have something superior to say to the world. You have something far greater, far superior, far more reliable to tell to this world that is in darkness. We began by saying how we are in an era of technology, and it's hard to know what you believe and what not to believe. Well, you have the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light, the life. No man comes into the Father but by me. So young Men and women, don't compromise the truth. As they seek you, as they ask you, as you interact with the world, don't compromise the truth. You have a better word to tell them. As they seek your counsel, give them the word. There's nothing better to give to them. What the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. Third, verse 28, hearken, O people, every one of you. It's not enough to listen. Even Ahab listened to the word. But you must obey it. 
Don't listen to the influencers of our days, but listen to the Word of God. Many believers today spend far too much time listening to the influencers, to digital influencers, instead of listening to the Word. No wonder why they make so many bad decisions in their lives. Parents especially, pay attention to what your kids are hearing and, and, and seeing. It's no surprise that your children make bad decisions when you see what they are seeing. Hearken, O oh people, every one of you, to the Word. Be careful with strange advice that surrounds you. Fourth, verse 38. According unto the word of the Lord. Church of God, we do not embrace empty promises. Christ Jesus is the true king who did not try to hide his life, but that willingly gave his life, even as we heard this morning. He gave his life in favor of his people. Christ did not value more his own life, but he came down from heaven to, to do the will of the Father who sent him. He was not a selfish king who sat upon the throne and who tried to disguise and to preserve his life. No, no, no. He came down from the heavenly throne to willingly give his life for us. What a promise that we have. And this is the will of the Father, John six thirty nine and 40. And this is the Father's will, which he hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Oh, brothers and sisters, believe this promise. We have a better king who is sit up, who's sitting upon the throne. And his word is perfect. And it will be fulfilled. So trust in him. Trust in his promises. We have a better king and you can believe this promise. For his word is always kept. God is, God's word is sovereign over all. So go now unto the weak remembering with trembling and rejoicing that no matter the earthly battle that you go through, we know who holds the crown in His hands. We know who holds the destiny of the universe. And He is our King and our Savior. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord Jesus, King Victorious, who has sat upon the throne, what a marvelous word Thou hast given us. O Lord God Almighty, not only Thy plan of redemption is perfect, but Thy word is also perfect. And Thou hast entrusted to us Thy most perfect word, what a treasure we have in our hands, Lord. We don't take this for granted. So we pray now, Lord, that thou would help us to 
seek thy word, to hear thy word, to know thy word, to walk in thy word, to be in thy word, to obey thy word. Lord, the Christian life is all about thy word. Preserve us, Lord, not to go astray. Not to seek earthly counsels, but to trust and rely upon thy word and thy word alone. Because we can know that thy word will be fulfilled. And one day we will see all these promises being fulfilled perfectly in the face of our Savior when we'll be united to him. So prepare us, Lord, for that day. And keep us throughout the week as well. Strengthen us to be bold ambassadors of thy word into this world. To carry thy world, to, to carry thy word to a world that is in darkness. To proclaim it, even in the risk of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' most holy name. Amen.